people want to see the downfall of the regime. This was a slogan that reverberated across the Middle East in 2011 when protesters took to the streets in their thousands and demanded change. Today, that same call is back. Over the past four weeks, protesters in the southern Syrian city of Sueda have taken to the streets and once again demanded an end to the vicious rule of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. The 2013 protests in Sueda are a continuation of the 2011 revolution, a continuation of the patriotic and human mobilization of all classes. Sueda's revolution is not solely against tyranny, it is a revolution against backward thinking, corruption and all the negative consequences that colonialization has inflicted upon our country. Long live Syria and down with Bashar al-Assad. This week on the New Arab Voice, who is protesting in Syria? Why are they protesting? And what does this mean for the future of the Assad regime? My name is Hugo Goodridge and you're listening to the New Arab Voice. have seen uh, large protests in uh, in various governorates especially more particularly in Sweden and in the governorates of uh, Dera as well as smaller demonstration in Damascus countryside uh, notably in the city of uh, Jaramana this is Joseph Daher Joseph works at the University of Lausanne and is the co-director of the Syrian Trajectory Project. While the trigger for the latest demonstrations were connected to economic decisions made by the Syrian government, which are the rise of oil derivatives by notably the total lifting of subsidies on gasoline and a partial lifting of subsidies on heating oil, which have affected the whole economy and society, these protests and the more wider uh, popular anger among uh, large sectors uh, of the Syrian populations are rooted both in political and economic denunciations of the Syrian regime and its policies. Syria was plunged into a brutal and bloody civil war when the regime of Bashar al-Assad chose to respond to the demands of civilian-led protests with unfettered violence. The subsequent conflict ripped the country apart, destroyed families and sowed tragedy across the country. It also unsurprisingly, destroyed the economy. Today, Syria's economy is, in effect, worthless. Since just May of this year, the Syrian pound has lost 80% of its value. This devaluation is just the latest for a currency that has been in freefall for years. Hyperinflation is also running rampant. Prices are rising daily, we no longer have the ability to cover our expenses and we have to carry huge piles of cash to buy our daily needs. Now we must carry a bag to carry these large sums because our pockets can no longer hold them. Ninety percent of the population of Syria now live below the poverty line. Seventy percent don't know where their next meal will come from. In the middle of August, the Syrian government made two announcements. First, they announced that the minimum monthly wage for all government employees would be increased by 100%. This sounds good in principle, but with the state of inflation, 
will do very little to help Syrian families who have on average less than $20 a month to live off. The World Food Programme said that the new monthly salary would only be enough to buy a third of the essential food that a family of five would need each month. The second announcement was that the Assad government would be lifting crucial fuel subsidies. This pushed the price of petrol from £3,000 per litre to £8,000 a litre, an increase of over 150%. And the cost of fuel oil rose from £700 a litre to £2,000 a litre. In short, a dire and almost unlivable situation has somehow become even worse. And protests began. Our demands are rightful. We're asking for basic living conditions. Our demands are legitimate. We've always been ready to sacrifice ourselves and our children. The dire economic conditions are certainly one factor that brought people out onto the streets. But additionally, the reasons that brought Syrians out in 2011 still remain today. Joseph Dahir again. Meaning not only criticism of its economic policies, but also more generally of its authoritarianism, violation of human rights. And there have been calls and one of the main slogans have been the people want to overthrow the regime. So coming back to the slogans of 2011. With Russian and Iranian help, the Assad regime has retaken control of much of Syria. Parts of the north remain beyond his control, and in those areas, protests against Assad's rule are frequent. But in areas that are supposed to be under his control, like Sueda, generally less common, and certainly not on the scale or intensity that has been seen recently. They are definitely important and significant demonstrations, particularly in the case of Sueda, where we have seen demonstrations, you know, block main roads that connect towns and villages in the countryside, creating disruptions in access to the capital, Damascus. And also, moreover, general strike has also been implemented in the governorate of Sueda with all state institutions forcefully closed, excluding those categorized as uh, essential services. Protesters also occupied, you know, like uh, judicial courts, the Ba'ath party headquarters in the city of Sweden, other party offices in multiple towns and the governorate uh, have been closed. So blocking employees from getting in. And we've seen, you know, within the demonstrations, large banners and portraits of the serious dictator Bashar Assad uh, completely burned down or broken. And again, main slogans being Uh, the people want to overthrow the regime. What started in the south soon spread to other areas of the country. In the neighbouring province of Dara, protesters on the street called for the president to go. In the coastal city of Latakia, traditionally supportive of Assad, Syrians voiced their anger online. In the Damascus suburb of Jeremana, protests were also witnessed. On the evening of August 23rd, protests in a number of neighbourhoods of Aleppo were witnessed. For those that were on the streets in 2011 and know firsthand how the regime responds to challenges, the protests bring mixed emotions. I think I have no enough words to describe how it feels, you know, to be in Germany and see people on the streets of Syria again. It's it's a mix of, you know, different feelings. Yes, I'm I'm very... I'm very motivated, I'm impressed, I'm grateful. 
but I'm also terrified uh, because I know, you know, I know very well what the Assad regime is capable of. This is Wafa Ali Mustafa. Wafa is a Syrian journalist and activist who now lives in Berlin. For a decade now, Wafa has campaigned tirelessly for Syria's disappeared, including her father, who was arrested by the regime in 2013 and has not been seen since. I'm scared for the people on the streets. I'm impressed by their courage. I'm impressed by, you know, their the, the narrative they're presenting. I'm impressed by the organization we're seeing every day uh, in these protests. I'm impressed by the, you know, women leadership. Uh, I'm impressed by, you know, how how uh, every single generation in Sweda, for example, is at Al Karama Square uh, every day. But I'm also, you know, it's it's so sad that you can see how people. You know, how, how desperate, how angry uh, and, and how horrific the situation is in Syria for people so that they don't even, you know, care about going to the streets against the same regime that used chemical weapons against its own people. Uh, the regime that they know very well that is, you know, easily can just detain and disappear all of them and their families and their relatives and can, can bomb their cities and can destroy their whole existence. The protests in Sueda have now entered their fourth week. While they haven't maintained the intensity of the first week, they are yet to lose momentum and still draw a sizable crowd. The general strike in the province has also not been lifted. It is a depressing truth that the expected response from the regime would be violence. Swift, brutal and merciless violence. The regime has a long history of this. In the past, they have indiscriminately opened fire on protesters, dropped bombs from planes and helicopters, conducted mass arrests and tortured prisoners. They've even used chemical weapons on civilian neighbourhoods. Recently, Sueda has seen some response from the regime, including the killing of some protesters, but nothing close to the scale that could be expected. Why is this the case? Why no brutal crackdown? First of all, I believe that the weakness of the regime is something to take into consideration, militarily, politically, and economically. Despite emerging from the conflict as the quote-unquote victors, the Assad regime does not have the strength of its pre-2011 self. The economy is a clear indicator of this. A mixture of wartime conditions, corruption, and poor economic policies mean that its collapse is running wild and out of the control of Damascus. The mere existence of the protests is another clear indicator of weakness. Strong authoritarian regimes do not have to worry about protests. Secondly, there is a willingness of the regime to to try to avoid forceful and violent suppression of the demonstrations as a part of its policy of instrumentalizing sectarianism and to appear as a protector of uh, religious minorities. But moreover, and more importantly, the main reason, I believe, is the inability of the regime to suppress these protests because it is connected to its own weakening, which has allowed a form of limited autonomy in this way that governorate. And notably, uh, Damascus' weakness has forced it to make concessions to the Sueda region, granting more autonomy to certain local armed forces, such as uh, Rijal al and tolerating a certain level of dissent. 
The idea that the Assad regime is the protector of religious minorities has been persistently pushed throughout the course of the conflict, and even before. This is particularly relevant when it comes to Sweda, which is home to a large community of Syrian Druze. The Druze are an ethno-religious minority in Syria, with long and, some would say, ancient ties to the region. So for the Assad regime to violently crush dissent would certainly damage their domestic image as protectors of religious minorities. Prior to 2011, the regime used to manage the region through compromises with local notables, notably uh, large Druze families or more uh, specifically with the religious elites, the, the free Sheikh Al-A'il, uh, who are the highest religious representatives of the Jews community. This change uh, uh, in the past decade because of the weakening of the Assad regime and the form of limited autonomy gained by the Sueda province. Today, this weakness has presented itself as public and vocal dissent, but also in other ways. There are, for example, tens of thousands of men who refuse to serve in the regime's army. These examples demonstrate that, in my opinion, the main reason for the inability until today of the regime to violently suppress the the protests is linked to the limited autonomy gained by the Sueda government and the ability of the local armed forces to have a balance of power that are in their favour and not in the favour of security forces, etc. In Sueda, the weakness of the regime is even more pronounced. It would be wonderful to believe that a revolution can rise up from the south and a free and democratic Syria will spread across the country. But optimism must eventually meet with reality. What I'm sure of is that this stage will change the situation in Syria. Will it lead to the change of the regime? I'm not sure. I don't know. And to be honest, I mean, lessons learned from the past 12 years? I don't think so. We all know that the Assad regime is not only as uh, as brutal as we've seen, but also supported either by, you know, by strong allies, but also enabled by, you know, the inaction of the international community. So I don't think that these protests uh, will change the regime. But I also believe that a change in, in a country like Syria will take years and it will take different stages and different revolutions and different uprisings. But what I'm sure of is there is no way back. What happened today in Sueda, the, you know, the fact that people are on the streets demanding not only you know, better living conditions, but also the change of the regime and the change of the head of this of this regime, Assad himself, there is no way back from that. And it will definitely, whatever, no matter what happens, we will not go back to before uh, uh, mid-August this year. Wafa believes that there is also a possibility that the Assad regime is playing a waiting game in Sueda. But... It's also the Assad regime. I mean, we know that the only speak, the only language language they speak is violence and is brutality. And to be honest, I mean, I'm no political analyst, and I cannot really tell what will happen in the next coming weeks or a month. I think they might be just, you know, thinking that let's just leave people 
to protest and eventually they will just get tired the the, the city is, is is on strike and you know eventually they will need to work and they will need to provide themselves with the daily basics so they will just go home and forget all about it but i also believe that people will not go home and people will not just you know go back to what was before uh, mid-august this year but at the same time yes i have to say that you know every single day i wake up and i you know before i check the news i you know i say i hope i will not hear about a massacre I hope that that you know the regime will not use the same violence against Sweda. But we can also we also have to admit that the violence is being used against Daraa and against Idlib and against Aleppo. I mean Idlib is being bombed on a daily basis. So that does not say that the regime has changed or their tools has changed, but it it only says that they have different different ways of approaching different cities and different communities. And that's only because, you know, they used uh, the diversity of the Syrian community to form and to, to contribute to their propaganda about fighting terrorism and protecting minorities. The success of this waiting out approach will, however, only likely work if the protests are contained to Sueda. Uh, while the resilience and the courage of Sueda's protesters are to be held in many ways, only an extension of the protest movement to other regions can allow it to continue and through such expansion of the, the protest movement represent a real challenge to the regime. And actually, uh, we've seen uh, campaigns of arrest uh, in different cities targeting you know, activists, people that have criticized the regime, whether being in Latake, Tartus, Aleppo, uh, since the beginning of the protest in Sweda, because the regime basically fear an expansion of uh, of the the protest movement, which would radically change the nature of the current protest movement and uh, truly represent a real challenge to the regime. But if protests remain limited to Sweda governorate, the regime will most probably bank on the passage of time and protesters getting tired of sustaining the movement. Sweda is reliant on Damascus for food, fuel and services, a fact that the regime knows all too well. In this context, and again, I think without significant expansion, the protest movement will most likely run out of steam and the regime knows it. So it can deal with the current protest movement uh, remaining only uh, in Sweden. And Wafa Ali Mustafa. I think we cannot and we should not look at the current, whatever you want to call it, uprising or protests or whatever, uh, the same way we looked at the 2011 protests. It's We're not 2011 anymore. The situation was different. Uh, the cities that, you know, went out to the streets with the hundreds of thousands of people, I believe are not capable to do that anymore. Damascus, Eastern Ghouta is just, you know, destroyed and, and emptied of, of its people. People of the area are not there anymore. Aleppo is also, you know, the situation is completely different. So I think, and, and this is the thing that I'm I'm also trying, you know, to tell myself uh, on daily basis. I should not look at the format of the revolution that we're seeing today in Syria the same way uh, I looked at 2011. It's not the same anymore. People have, yes, they, they have like, similar reasons. Uh, or like the same reasons are still valid, but people also have different reasons now, additional reasons. And these people are also different people, uh, different generations, 
yes, some people, I mean, I in Sweden, you can recognize faces, you know, you've seen in 2011. But also you can see that younger generations are leading these protests. Younger generation are writing these signs, writing these, you know, statements. You can see a new, you know, a, way, a new mentality. And this mentality and this generation and this movement has its own way of revolting. And we should accept that. This new mentality has recently announced its presence in Syria. We, the Syrian youth, announced the formation of the August 10th movement to end our suffering from mismanagement of the country's affairs and the state's neglect of the people's future. This was the first statement from the August 10th movement. It continued. We reject custody from any outside party, no matter what. We refuse to carry weapons and we will not, no matter what. We speak from the inside and you will witness in the coming days that our words are true. We have one clear demand, but there is no alternative. And to prove our sincere and noble intentions, the request will be very simple and achievable. It does not require any resources, but only a commitment from the Syrian state. The group has emphasised that they are peaceful and also, seemingly learning from the previous uprising, a strictly non-sectarian resistance. What is interesting also with Augustine movement, it also calls, among other things, for an increase in the minimum wage to $100, the liberation of all political prisoners, the departure of all foreign occupation forces, and the implementation of UN Resolution 2254. This new collective uh, also claims around thousands of members, even though it's hard to tell, within regime-held areas, and is trying to organize itself in a decentralized way, mostly on the internet, online, etc. It's primarily led by Syrian youth. And while it started first in the coastal cities of Latake and Tartus, it includes individuals from all over the country and from various religious sects and ethnicities, according to their own spokesperson. To date, the August 10th movement have not called for a mass protest, saying that they want their movement to first achieve a critical mass. So it's, it's interesting to see new political groups or movements, especially led by youth, emerging the, uh, despite more than a decade of war and trying to base a political resistance based on inclusivity and refusal of sectarianism, also including, uh, I would say, socioeconomic issues, for example, the increasing of the minimum wage, among other things. Since announcing their formation, they have been actively posting on Facebook, spraying graffiti on public walls, recording videos and taking photos in front of government buildings and institutions, and started a campaign that called on Syrians to write protest slogans on banknotes. All brave actions when you're doing them in Syria. But Joseph believes that the fate of the August 10th movement could be tied to the fate of the protests in Sweden. If there's an extension of it, this can give a bit more political space for this kind of new collective, maybe to have more political space to organize. But indeed, only an extension of the protest movement to other regions can allow it to, to continue itself and to, to allow the, uh, this political space for others to organize and present a real challenge to the regime. But currently speaking, these new dissenting groups, such as Augustin Movement, and others, uh, and their action remain rather small and far from representing a challenge for the regime on the national level. A new and youth-driven wave of protests that are seeking change probably shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. A child who turned 10 years old in 2011 will turn 22 
this year. A childhood lost to conflict. A development never free from upheaval and trauma. It shouldn't be so surprising that a youth-led movement is now seeking to secure a future of calm and stability. The August 10th movement ended their first statement saying, We will not allow procrastination, lies and manipulation of our future. We've lost 12 years of our lives. It's enough. If the authorities are acting outside of the law, then for the people to march against them is within the law. The young men and women of the August 10th movement, long live Syria. There's a final arm to this recent resistance. On August 11th, the Free Alawite Officers Movement announced their commitment to the National Liberation Movement. In their statement, the group, founded in 2018, announced their commitment to transitioning Syria to a state of law and ensuring a safe and neutral environment in accordance with UN Resolution 2254. President Assad also hails from the Alawite sect, an offshoot of Shia Islam, and has traditionally enjoyed a strong support among the Alawite community, who see him, as previously mentioned, the protector of minority groups. So it may come as a surprise to hear Alawite officers calling for change. But it shouldn't. Just as with the youth, the Alawite community too are suffering. Religion offers no protection from hyperinflation. Actually, the, the Alawite population, and especially the popular classes, which are for the vast majority you know, composed of state employees who are in the army, etc., are suffering just like the rest of the, of the population of the economic crisis. They suffer from similar problems regarding provision of state services, corruption, shortages of electricity and ancestral goods. So it's, it's significant to show that what we are witnessing today in Syria is, is rooted both in political and economic reasons regarding the, the protest movement, the white popular anger, but that Alawites are not different than the, from the rest of the population. They have similar needs, similar demands, and for improved conditions uh, of living, stopping the corruption, stopping the authoritarianism of this regime. And if there's an ability to allow more political space to organize, to allow a new uh, forms of, you know, new forms of collective resistance, uh, a new political actor emerging with inclusive policies, we will see, otherwise, just like, just like other individuals uh, in Syria, most probably challenge the state. The conflict in Syria is, in truth, over. There isn't a force in the country that can militarily challenge the Assad regime. Certainly not, while he's still supported by Russia and Iran. But the fight for the country is not over. The issues that brought people out onto the streets in 2011 remain. In fact, the problems are worse now than they were 12 years ago. While the regime survival has been somewhat ensured and it does control a large part of, uh, of Syria, nearly 70%, and this survival has mostly been the result of the support of its foreign allies, especially Russia, Iran, and Hezbollah, it is unable to secure any form, I would say, of passive hegemony on large segments of the population. And actually, this nurtures a situation of continuous instability in the, co in the country, 
and of economic crisis. And as the latest protest movement and wide expression of popular frustration among the society demonstrate it, this regime is unable to reconsolidate a form of passive hegemony or authoritarian stability prior to 2011. And this uh, results in a continuous situation of uh, instability within the country. The protests that continue in Sueda, the recently formed August 10th movement, and even the recent moves by the free Alawite officers are all positive steps forward. They've revealed a chink in the armour of the Assad regime. And in that chink exists a small opportunity to create a political space. For the time being, they can only be small opportunities. Anything bigger, and the risk of a brutal regime response increases. But for a country waiting for justice, small opportunities are still welcome opportunities. Final words to Wafa Ali Mustafa. I think it's crucial to accept that we will see different groups within Syria, and these groups have you know different approaches, different tools, and different visions uh, of of how to make the change happen and how 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 future Syria will look like. And what we really need is not just you know organizing a mass to demand the same thing but rather to use each other's different visions and approaches and tools to eventually achieve the change that we all aim for which is the change of the regime and that will again that will be only the first step towards building a different free and just a democratic Syria. This episode of The New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region. <laughs>